0: So let me get this straight, Justin. So if I am more active, I'm less likely to hurt. If I'm more active, I sleep better. If I sleep better, I'm less likely to get in a car accident. And if I don't get a car accident, I won't end up with whiplash or neck pain and then hurt. Am I getting this right? If healthcare is broken, who's working to fix it? I'm
1: Dr. Charles O'Malley. And I'm Dr. Justin Geisinger. This is More Than Medicine.
0: Alright, this is Charlie and Justin. We're kicking off Season 2. It's just us here today. No guest, but... Justin's really fired up. He went to uh, a continuing ed course, learned some pain neuroscience. So we're going to share some stuff with you today, uh, help you learn about pain, why it's important, why we need to pay attention to it, how our bodies respond to pain, uh, and then hopefully how we can start to better deal with pain uh, from a whole healthcare perspective.
1: Yeah, and also like how it costs the healthcare system. Yeah. Well. Uh, so one of the first statistics, and of course we're biased because we're physical therapists, uh, and and the presenter was a physical therapist. But I was surprised to hear that physical therapy makes up only three percent of all healthcare expenses in the U.S. Um, and I, I presented that to a patient who I had recently, who is a practicing pharmacist, and I, I shared that number with him, and he was surprised. Uh, he thought it would have been much lower than that. He said based on the numbers that he sees day in, day out, with some of the treatments that he gives, uh, you know, IVs, uh, lots of medications, uh, he thought that it would have been more around 1% to 2%, which that even further shocked me. Right, which is
0: crazy because, you know, again, we're biased, we're PTs, but that's what we deal with. Most of the day. I mean, the number one thing we treat is low back pain. So you think like, oh, something hurts. I'm going to go to PT. But yet we're only making up three percent of uh, kind of the healthcare world as far as treating pain. Uh, I feel like we have a lot to offer, and some things are kind of getting overutilized a little bit. And hopefully we can. Yeah, I'd like to think that, that we
1: can do more than a three uh, percent benefit. Yeah, for exactly. healthcare as a whole. <laughs> so, but.
0: I just, I'm really excited about this stuff. We're going to get into uh, a little bit of the science behind pain first. Uh, so hang in there with us. Uh, if you don't have uh, kind of an anatomy or physiology background, we'll kind of be brief with it. But, um, you know, one of the things I love is when Justin gets fired up about something. It doesn't happen often. But, man, he came back from this course really fired up. So he's going to be sharing a lot of the stuff today. Um, so, hopefully, you guys enjoy it.
1: Yeah. So, firstly, let's think about what is pain? right so um, so often we think of like a pain being an effect of a certain part of the body like oh my leg hurts oh this hurts Uh, and then that's where the pain is when actually pain is a product of the brain and so pain is transferred through the body through what's called the C fibers in the the nervous system and uh, C fibers relative to nerve conduction velocity you know the speed of which uh, signals transfer through nerves in our body. It's one of the slower moving uh, fibers. So, you know, when, when you have an injury occur somewhere, uh, it takes relatively longer compared to just feeling of touch uh, for our brain to perceive that. One statistic that they, they presented was uh, the time that it takes for a signal to pass from a giraffe's Achilles tendon to its brain is eight seconds. It's like, wow, so something could have hit uh, the Achilles tendon for, of a giraffe, and it's just going to be this uh, lag time before it even realizes. That kind of also signifies that pain isn't always the most important thing.
0: Right, exactly. And I think, I think that's kind of the important thing to remember. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot uh, about how the brain kind of is what controls this sense of pain. We are not saying that pain is in your head. Okay so I just want to be clear there yeah. like pain is an an actual manifestation of something going on um, so we're not talking about you know people creating pain and just making stuff up. Like we're, we're actually talking about yes, pain is transmitted, but it's it's complicated. It's complicated. You know it your there's your brain factors. Right, exactly. Your brain has to kind of filter out everything and and figure out what's going on. But getting back to that right.
1: idea of you know well pain is here in, in, in like my Achilles tendon. Or it's in my knee, or, you know, and it's only there. No, it's a product of the brain too. But uh, there's a, a story that he opened and shared about a uh, younger man in the UK. This is going back about five, 10 years. And he had PTSD, PTSD, and he had this kind of chronic pain going on in his leg. And he went to the doctors and said about this chronic pain and he just had to have it amputated. And no doctor, of course, was willing to amputate this leg because they said, no, there's really not a problem with it. So one night, he's out at the bar and he decides that he's gonna get really drunk. He gets really drunk and then goes to the local train track, and he lays down on the train track and drapes this painful leg over the rail, with the intention of having the train amputate it. Sure enough, train comes by, amputates his leg, cuts it right off, uh, and then the picture in the paper uh, a couple days later shows him there, leg bandaged up. You know he is alive and well, but he no longer has a left leg but he still has pain again. This shows like, wow, the pain was not just something in his leg that could be removed. You know, it was in his head as well as in his leg.
0: Right. Cause you still have that part of the brain that's correlated with your leg. And so that can still create that sensation. So that's why we say it's complicated. Uh so, yeah, but, you know, there's also a lot of other things that can influence it, like, uh, you know, different environmental factors. Um, and and Justin's got some, some interesting facts about that.
1: Yeah, they were talking about how children who play uh, more rough sports when they're younger can grow up to be able to tolerate pain a little bit better. But one that was particularly interesting is they did this study of demolition drivers, demolition derby drivers. And these guys, uh, and I guess some gals too, Uh, Yeah, let's not be biased here, Justin. Yep, sorry. Um, It's estimated that in their career, they're involved with approximately 1,500 collisions uh, while driving their cars. Out of all the people polled, only about 1 in 40 complained of having any level of head or neck pain. That is crazy to think about. You're involved in 1,500 accidents, yet only 1 in 40 had any complaint of pain. Right, and I don't know if any of you guys out there have been
0: to a demolition derby. I have. Have you, Justin? I have, yes. Oh, yeah, so when you look at these cars, you know, you would think like, oh, they've got roll cages and all this safety gear. They're really not that safe. You know, yes, they have a helmet. Yes, they have, you know, a roll cage, but Big it's usually bulbos. something that is you know, put together in someone's garage, you know, we're, we're not talking about NASCAR level, uh, safety here. Not so. Mad Max. No, definitely not. But, uh, so yeah, so it's not the safest thing in the world. And for only one in 40 to have that level of neck
1: pain, that's kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, moving on to like the, the, perception of pain too, you know, so here you have people, uh, experience with experiencing what you would think would be very painful things with these collisions. Uh, it's the brain interpreting what's going on Uh, there was another study about how just simply taking two fingers you know pick your right hand and your tape two fingers together uh, and they did functional MRI uh, of the brain to see how the brain started to perceive what was happening with these two fingers and within minutes I think it was about 15 to 20 minutes the brain was no longer able to distinguish if those two two fingers that were taped together was actually now one finger or if it was still two fingers. And so later when they took the tape off, it wasn't just a couple minutes for the brain to then realize, oh, wow, I have two fingers again. It took days to recover the ability to restore that independent function of these two individual fingers.
0: Right, so essentially the brain within 30 minutes... Kind of decided. Oh, I'm just gonna take a little vacation. I'm gonna, you know, only pay attention to these two fingers as one whole finger. So 30 minutes of that. 30 minutes of tape taping. You take the tape off. It took two days for the brain to figure out that they were two separate fingers again. That's ridiculous. And you know, something that happens. That's just two fingers. Right. So you know, how many people out there have ever broken their wrist or hand, and you put a cast on? Well, you know, you've got a cast on for four weeks, six weeks, something like that. So when you have a cast on, just in the amount of time that you have a cast on, your brain will actually start to atrophy on the side that controls sensation for that hand. So the hand that's in a cast, the corresponding area of sensation of the brain will actually get smaller while you wear that cast. Conversely, the side that is not casted will actually then become more sensitive. And and they did tests to prove this. And That took upwards of two weeks to correct uh, or or to kind of readjust after the cast was taken off. So, you know, now imagine, you know, what happens to your brain if you've been on bed rest for a long period of time or, you know, if you're just generally sedentary for months or years, if your body's not moving, what happens to your brain? It's going to shrivel up like a raisin, basically.
1: Yeah, Uh, and when you just said bed rest there, that leads into a great study, uh, which I just realized I didn't give credit to uh, Adrian Lau. He was the South African presenter at this study, and he's done a lot of research in this area. But he dug up this oldie but goodie uh, study. It's called the Dallas Bed Rest Study, it was done back in the 80s. And they took uh, six healthy college males uh, one summer and said, okay, guys, we just want you— to lay around in bed for the whole summer. Uh, they could read, watch movies, get up to go to the bathroom. They were certainly not permitted to go exercise, to really even walk around town at all. They were confined to uh, basically the bed and bathroom. What was amazing was after three weeks of being in bed, oh, and while they're doing all this, they're measuring their vital signs, you know, checking their heart rate. Uh, and seeing what, what their blood pressure is doing. Uh, after three weeks of laying in bed, they found that their vital signs had aged the equivalent of 20 years.
0: I mean, yeah, three weeks of bed
1: rest took 20 years off their life. Wow, so movement may be important here. So, now, to, to follow up, they're, they're still doing follow-ups on right. this. And there is a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. You know, so It all works out. Because uh, these people, they're all still alive, and uh, they, they've been following them. They recently did a 30-year follow-up study, and they found that even after 30 years, uh, as life happens, and they are, are still active individuals, but not really exercising very heavily, they found that the overall decline in their physical state was not as bad as that initial physical decline from three weeks of bed rest. And furthermore, once they were at this new baseline here, they said, okay guys, let's now put you on an exercise routine and we're gonna see if we can make gains. And shock of all shocks, after six months of this exercise program, they were able to eliminate the 30-year physical decline. So basically, it put them back to that same state that where they began uh, when they were healthy individuals volunteering for this bed rest study.
0: Right. So, you know, kind of just in summary, three weeks of bed rest equals 28, 20 years of aging. Fast forward 30 years, they lose physical capacity. Oh, guess what? Six months of exercise can reduce that 30 years of aging. Incredible. It's the
1: fountain of youth.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love it. We found it. it. Yep. So, you know, that does bring up a, a different question about aging and pain. And this is something, you know, you like to talk about, Justin. You know, do older people hurt because they're aging or do they hurt because they're not moving as much? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I thought about this more when I had a patient several uh, months ago now. He was a pretty energetic fellow. He really liked to golf a lot. And I saw him because he started having back pain. And then one day it dawned on him, you know, as we're working through his back pain or releasing some uh, mechanical restrictions, some physical tightness and giving him some exercises and uh, things that he needed to do. Uh, he realized that in his job, he was very physical. And while he was walking or working, he wore a Fitbit and he was doing between 10, 15,000 steps a day. And he was just thinking, oh man, once I retire, things are going to be so great. I'm going to golf more. And I'm going to just love life. But he started feeling more pain and he realized he started wearing his Fitbit again. And he noticed that his overall daily steps was only about two or three thousand steps a day. And he's like, is it because I'm not active because I don't have my job and now I'm starting to hurt? And we're like, well, it doesn't seem that way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it it can be that simple. You know, a difference of 10,000 steps per day can be the difference between, you know, being in pain or not being in pain.
1: Yeah, I, I also know my, my dad, he's in his upper 60s, still works a very physical job, and I have uncles that are in the same boat, and they're almost fearful to retire. Now, luckily, they all really love their jobs and love doing what they do, but they've seen others around them who retire and die, because they really just stopped moving and kind of lost that motivation, uh, that purpose, I guess, in life. Um so again, movement is medicine, it seems. Exactly. So we're not saying you can't retire. Right. You know,
0: you know certainly. <laughs> Just keep if, moving into retirement. That's exactly right. Just don't stop moving. Don't retire from movement. You can retire from your job. Uh, but, you know, again, speaking about movement and, and tying that into the brain and how this all comes together is your brain is essentially one big pharmacy. You know, your brain can create all these amazing chemicals that are pain relievers. And, and Justin, you're a runner, so you've got this fun statistic about running. Yeah, I
1: mean, I'm already biased towards running, uh, but they actually found that a six-mile run uh, with a heart rate of, I believe, above 130 beats per minute. Uh, so I guess that could be anything else. doesn't have to be running. Anything sure. where your heart rate is up. It creates the equivalent of 10 milligrams of morphine within your body.
0: Right. I mean, that's, you know, what do you think about, you know, as kind of the the age old pain killing medication is morphine, but Mm -hmm. yet you can create that same effect in your brain from activity.
1: Mm hmm. But wow. even with that knowledge, the FDA did recently approve opioids for juveniles.
0: Right. As if we don't have enough problems with opioids. Now let's just start giving them to kids. And yeah. that, that is actually a thing. Like there is now an opioid that is approved for eight-year-olds. Yeah. Anyway,
1: like that's a whole other
0: conversation. Um, so kind of getting back on track here, you know, one of the things we do know also from activity is people who exercise or, or move regularly sleep better.
1: But, I mean, sleep can't have an effect on pain, can it, Justin? Well, no, no, no. Uh, uh, but even more than just sleep and its effect on pain, uh, studies have shown, or statistics rather, just show that um, there's two times a year in, in America where they can track an increase and decrease in traffic incidents. Uh, you know, uh, accidents, fender benders, things like that. And that's, one, during daylight savings time when we uh, fall back and we gain that extra hour of sleep, there's actually about a 25% decline in traffic accidents in the week following. And then when we spring ahead and we lose that hour of sleep, there's about a 25% uptick in traffic accidents in the United States. Isn't that fascinating? So,
0: So let me get this straight, Justin. So if I am more active, I'm less likely to hurt. If I'm more active, I sleep better. If I sleep better, I'm less likely to get in a car accident. And if I don't get a car accident, I won't end
1: up with whiplash or neck pain and then hurt. I- am I getting this right? That's right. And if you're a demolition driver, you could handle about 1,500 of those accidents and still maybe only have a 140% chance. Well,
0: of there driving. you go. I mean, so either be active or become a demolition derby driver. That's yep. that's the take-home message, I yep. guess. Um, so... You know the another thing, and I, I love this story, Justin, you have to get into it because uh, you had me cracking up when, when you first said it, was how we how we kind of talk about pain and and describe it to patients or, or even give them little tidbits of, of information uh, can affect how they perceive their own pain. So can you talk about the ultrasound story?
1: Yeah. Uh, so this actually then became a published story uh, you know researched. Um, so Adrian, the presenter, he works in a physical therapy clinic, and one day, he's got a really busy schedule, and he's got a student working with him, and his main objective there that morning was getting his patient started, and that he really wanted to go get a cup of coffee. So Right, gets, classic PT
0: move, got to right, have your cup yeah. of coffee. Yeah, so. Except for me, I don't drink coffee.
1: He, he gets uh, the patient going, and he's having the student there with him, of course, the student is very competent, very smart, uh, and he says to the student, okay, can you do the ultrasound here on her neck? Remember, it's clockwise for pain, counterclockwise for stiffness as he's going off for his coffee. And this is kind of...
0: Right, which is totally not real. Right. Like that was just a joke that was thrown out there. That is not actually something we do in PT.
1: Right. Totally tongue-in-cheek there. Like, yeah, here, try this. So patient uh, is finished with her treatment, gets that uh, clockwise treatment of the ultrasound on her neck
0: right because the student actually did do it clockwise he thought the pt was being serious right
1: so uh the next week patient returns there's a different uh therapist there because the they were previously on vacation the week before and doesn't know this whole joke of the clockwise counterclockwise with the ultrasound and so the patient the pt starts doing ultrasound on this patient again on their neck and is going counterclockwise and uh, a couple minutes into it, the patient starts complaining and saying, You're going the wrong way. <laughs> You're not addressing the pain. And so then that led into a study. Like, does it really matter? And uh, it is basically they fed them the uh, patients the information saying, Hey, clockwise versus counterclockwise is what we're working on. And sure enough, when they explained to them that counter or that clockwise helps with pain, these patients reported feeling better. Right.
0: So the question then became, was it the ultrasound being applied in a clockwise manner that actually addressed their pain? Or was it the idea that was planted in their mind that if I do this thing, it will address your pain? Because anyone who's uh, worked in, in the medical field knows there is no difference in applying ultrasound in a clockwise versus counterclockwise method. It makes Absolutely no difference. So it was just the idea being put in the patient's head that if I do this in a clockwise manner, it will help your pain. Yep. Like that, that's powerful stuff right there. Right. So we have to be really careful uh, about what we say with patients, um, it, you know, because it, it can certainly have that effect. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, in a negative way. Um, but before we get to that, uh, there's some really interesting stuff too about. Uh, imaging. And and we're actually going to talk to a radiologist, uh, David Saul, um, later uh, in this season about imaging. So this will be its own thing, but we wanted to throw some tidbits in there um, about how there is kind of a poor correlation between what shows up on an x-ray, an MRI, a CAT scan, whatever, uh, and patient's uh, perception of pain. Um, So it's not always as simple as, oh, You've got this thing on this picture that must be the cause of your pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Justin, you, 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 I know I know we've been getting you to do story time here, but yeah. you got to tell the nail story. Yeah.
1: So, uh, oh, you kind of gave it away there. Uh, maybe we can get the image and put it up on the show notes or something here. But um, so, in 2004, uh, a gentleman in South Korea walks into his doctor, and he just wasn't really feeling well lately, and he explains to the doctor that he's. Uh, got this headache and he's just really not sure what's going on and so the physician examines him and says well you know what let's let's order an x-ray and see what might be going on sure enough the x-ray comes back and there is a nail in his head like right through his uh right above the hairline on his forehead a uh, rather large nail and the patient then says hmm Oh, yeah, you know there might have been an incident about four years ago that could have caused that, really? you think maybe four years ago something happened or a nail went in your head, and only now you're starting to have a headache
0: right, so then the question is, was it the nail
1: yeah and and do you remove it right <laughs> exactly if it hasn't been a problem up till now, maybe maybe
0: you don't right exactly and and you know that that applies for you know, everyday people, but even professional athletes, um, or, or collegiate athletes, or, you know, there, was there a, a study they looked, they just took, uh, x-ray or MRIs of, uh, basketball, collegiate basketball players. So these are, you know, super high level athletes, 35% of them, uh, who had no symptoms of knee pain, um, uh, but they had significant abnormalities, whether it be in their cartilage or, or you know, early onset arthritis, things like that. Um, when they looked at their structure of their knees, but they had no knee pain. So, you know, again, it makes you wonder, you know, is it what shows up on a picture? Is that really... What causes pain. And, and we would make the argument that it isn't.
1: Right. Like how many times, Charlie, do we have a, a patient come into the clinic during the week and the doctor told that patient, oh, this is the worst knee I've ever seen. And then the patient's about to oh, cry.
0: Man. Oh, man, I've had to put out so many fires because, um, and, and this is, you know, what we we're talking about, you can have a positive effect with the language you use, say in the whole clockwise thing for pain, but you can have an absolutely negative effect. Uh, effect on a patient by saying things like that i mean you know we it, it's amazing how many people come in and they feel like they are broken because someone has told them oh yeah this is the worst whatever that i've ever seen um and and you know we really especially anyone who out there who's a medical professional we have to be careful about that yeah. um you know we have to you know not be all sunshine rainbows and unicorns but you know, you you have to be honest with people, but also recognize that the words you say are very powerful. Um, you know, another study that illustrates this is they took, um, women who had C-sections, uh, and they broke them up into two groups. And one group was whenever a a medical professional would come in, they would ask them, what's your pain level? You know, pretty standard question. Anyone has ever been in the hospital. They ask you, what's your pain level? The other group who had the exact same procedure, these were all, you know, C-section deliveries, they would ask them, what's your comfort level? Mm. And the group who was asked, what's your comfort level used significantly less medication, had less reports of discomfort and, and basically overall felt better because if you're walking in the door and the first thing someone's asking you is what's your pain, well, what are you going to think about? You're going to think, oh yeah, how crappy do I feel? Yeah. But if someone says how comfortable you are you, you're gonna think, Oh well, how comfortable am I? Like just it, nice. it just skews it more towards that positive. So you can still glean the same information, but just do it in a more positive way. Um, it's almost like
1: even before you ask that question, Would you like a cup of tea? Yeah, right. No. <laughs> What's yes. your comfort? We should
0: start thing? every session with a cup of tea. Yeah. That would be awesome. That's what how Stu about, McGill how would how do that. A, yeah, how about a cookie? Right. And he's got the little a, fireplace refreshment.
1: Yeah. Oh, and then God. you ask the question. All right. So, that's
0: that's our new goal for uh, twenty nineteen.
1: See, it's the simple thing. <laughs> no wonder we only make up three percent of healthcare. That's too cheap. Yeah, you right. Can offer more expensive things. That's right. But beyond uh, like knees and, and imaging, you know, of course, the the bigger complaint that we hear about is the back pain and and the dreaded uh, bulging disc or like oh my disc slipped. Which I remember one time I saw this image of a uh, it was a cartoon where they took somebody's vertebrae and it shows it slipping on a banana peel. They're like, <laughs> right. Yeah. So that disc just slipped right there. Nope. Yep. It's gone. Yep. Um, but actually when they, uh, MRI at uh, a hundred people, they found about 40% of them had, uh, what appeared to be a bulging disc, even though those people felt nothing. They didn't have any issues, no leg pain, no back pain, no hip pain. Yet the imaging showed, yep, there's a bulging disc. um, and when I was in PT school, they told the story of Stanley Paris, who's like one of the founding fathers of manual therapy. Uh, he put surgeons to the test. He took a group of uh, neuro, uh, like neurological uh, surgeon and lumbar spine surgeons uh, specialists, and he puts this MRI up on the screen and says, "Would you operate on this disc? And it was unanimous across this panel of uh surgeon said yep we would all operate there definitely a candidate for surgery and then stanley paris danced across the the floor and said now what if i told you that's my disc that's my mri right there and they collectively gasped and he later went on to swim the english channel with that same disc you know which he just really wanted to show that the imaging doesn't always have to match the symptoms, and, and, and or it needs to match the symptoms to have surgery. The imaging shouldn't be the standalone uh, objective measure.
0: Right, especially when, you know, in the United States, an MRI costs about $3,000, you know, so they're not cheap. And, you know, we order them, you know, just like it's no big deal. And, and I, I do want to be clear, we're, we're not trying to pick on physicians here. I, mm-hmm. I love a lot of the physicians we work with, yep. and, and we're blessed to have a lot of really good uh, physicians in Lancaster here. Yeah, it's not us um, versus them. Here. No, not at all. And, you know, we can't order imaging. So when we talk about people ordering imaging, it is the physicians who are ordering it. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's a tool in their toolbox. Um but we need to make sure, especially as a health system, um, as a healthcare system as a whole, that we're utilizing each other's skills. And and so you know, it really does need to be a team approach because physicians have one tool; they have medications and um, you know, imaging and, and lots of really good diagnostic skills and things like that that we as PTs don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, we can't do surgery, we can't do injections, all that kind of stuff. But you also need to recognize the benefit of those other people in your team, such as PTs. Um, and, you know, when you, when you look at it as, you know, oh, it's, it's, well, it either has to be PT or it has to be surgery. Well, sometimes it can be both. Yeah. And that can be really powerful.
1: Yeah. In uh, 2012, there were uh, over 600,000 ectomies performed in the U.S. And that's when uh, a surgeon goes in or removes part of that disc in your lumbar spine to basically allow some breathing room, we'll say, uh, for the nerve to alleviate pain. Uh, But in in a study that they did with this, they uh, uh, paired that with physical therapy, in some cases just even before the surgery was to happen. And when they did this, they found that there was a reduction of 45% in the total cost in the treatment of that patient. Because what they found was that there was a less of a need for additional tests, images, treatments, and procedures, which amounted amounted in a total cost savings of one point two billion dollars per year. Right, billion with a B. And all it took <laughs> is one session with a PT before the surgery, which basically gave the patient a little bit more peace of mind, gave them some more education and what to do.
0: Right, and what's one session of PT cost? Like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, I, if that. I don't. Depending on your insurance, yeah. you know, it's that's like, a complicated that's, question right there. Right. That's that's yeah. nothing. It's peanuts. Yep. You know, when you're talking about the cost of an entire surgery or or the whole, you know, after effect.
1: Which I, I want to then also tell about the uh, my current patient. Uh, her name is oh. Pat. Um, she is a motivated individual, and she knew she was going to need a knee replacement. And so, her doctor encouraged her to to start PT before the surgery, her total knee replacement. And she lost about 50 pounds. She knew what she was getting into, going into it. Uh, So, typically, when you have a total knee replacement, you go into the hospital, they replace the knee, and you're there for, what, maybe two days on average? So, uh, she was able to skip all of that. You know, she lost, like I said, about 50 pounds. She goes in, outpatient procedure, has the knee put in, comes out. Goes Goes home that same day. Same day. Right. Then uh, with most people, you have a physical therapist come into your home to help you uh, with physical therapy in your home and even to maneuver around your home. She was able to skip all of that, was back to outpatient physical therapy after surgery in about two days. And the best part about it was she skipped all opioids. She took nothing stronger than Tylenol for I think maybe three days after the surgery. Uh, she's now walking with a cane, and she only had surgery like two and a half weeks ago. So she's just right. doing phenomenal. Riding the bike already. And, yeah. And, and a lot of that though was just that education. It put her at uh, peace of mind. She felt more confident in what she could do. She also was moving more before surgery. So again, that kind of helped her to restore some of her strength and endurance. And it's all sunshine and roses now.
0: Right. and you know, let's, let's be truthful here too. Justin's too humble to toot his own horn, but she's got a good PT. I mean, yeah. that makes a difference as well. When you have skilled people on your team, that definitely makes a difference too. So, um, but of course, you know, then her patient satisfaction is going to be through the roof.
1: You know, she's ecstatic. She, she's happy as can be. Um, yeah. And, and patient satisfaction was the, the real driving force here behind this next story. Um, that I know Charlie, you really, uh, Oh man, I love this. Yeah, it was basically the unification of Starbucks, Aetna, and the Virginia Mason Health System out in Seattle, Washington.
0: Right. And, uh, you know, when, when we talk about this whole, you know, what is more than medicine? What are we trying to do here? And we talk about, you know, we need to act, we need to do things to, to take what's good in our healthcare system and make them better. This is this is exactly what we're talking about. So Justin, if you can kind of summarize this this whole process, I just think it's wonderful.
1: Yeah. So basically, uh, Starbucks they am uh, I guess had a contract with Aetna and the Virginia Mason Health System to treat all of their patients who had pain. So it, all their all
0: their employees. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh,
1: and let's say you get an injury on the job. No matter what level of injury that is, you go to the doctor's office and Uh, their current way of working it was they had such a backlog, so it could take up to 31 days to be seen for that treatment of the, whatever injury was, maybe it's back pain.
0: Right. Yeah. So, you know, imagine you're working on a Tuesday and you go to lift a crate of coffee cups and, oh, my back hurts. You have to wait a month before you can see someone.
1: Yep. Completely ridiculous. Yep. So no matter what your level of pain is, you might be at home on the couch with, thinking that you're doing better by not moving and then you're missing out on work. So then the the Starbucks is losing out because they aren't having you working. Right. Um. And, and keep
0: in mind all that stuff we talked about earlier in the episode about what changes in your brain when you're inactive for a period of time. So now your brain's shrinking up
1: like a raisin again. Yep. So the, the impetus behind this whole study to even start was the fact that the employees were so disgruntled. You know, the Starbucks thought they're doing a good job by they're providing the imaging, imaging, they're providing the drugs, the whatever it is to take care of the problem, except it was just coming so slow. So what they did to, to make a, an abrupt uh, change was they made same day, or attempted to make same day treatment. So basically they would try and say, all right, you're coming in, you have pain, let's refer you over here to physical therapy first and see what can be done. And uh, what happened th- next was that the employee satisfaction went through the roof. How, how quick was that, Charlie? They uh...
0: So within, um, within a, I believe it was a three-month period, they were able to streamline uh, the process to take that average time to see either a physician, a PT, or both from 31 days down to one day. So it took them three months of kind of trimming the fat a little bit and trying to figure out where can we, you know, make this process smoother. But in in about a three to four month period, they were able to cut that down. So it didn't happen overnight. Um, And, you know, part of that process was they were really looking to see what are we doing to the average person with low back pain? What's working and what's not working? And they were realizing that, okay, you know, Bob reports he's got back pain. Well, let's get them an appointment with a neurologist. Let's get them an appointment with an orthopedist. Let's get them an appointment, you know, with, um, you know, uh, radiology to to get a scan done. Let's do all of these things. And what they found was they weren't doing anything. They weren't helping.
1: Right. So then what happened ultimately here is the employee satisfaction went through the roof. They were able to return to work, uh, sometimes even same day. Uh, The prescription medications declined 75%, uh, but all of that good news results uh, in Virginia Mason Health System was then bankrupt, and do you know why? Right, because they weren't getting money for
0: all these unnecessary tests and unnecessary doctor's appointments. They
1: couldn't bill for MRIs. They couldn't bill for more medications, so... Then the Starbucks uh, came back to them with a novel idea. Well, let's just charge more for the physical therapy. Right. Let's just charge more for what works. And then <laughs> the, the Virginia Mason didn't go bankrupt. Uh, everybody was happy. And uh, the, yeah, it, it seems like a system that could uh, work across the
0: country. Right. Exactly. You You take out what's unnecessary and then you essentially promote more of what is working and maybe you charge a little bit more for it, but it's still less. It still costs healthcare, uh, you know, healthcare providers and seekers less money, but yet we're getting better outcomes. I mean, that to me is a beautiful blueprint on kind of how we can improve healthcare while still keeping patients happy. You know, it's not just about cutting costs. It's about keeping patients healthy, happy, but keeping costs down by providing good care. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and what we're seeing now is with our current system, when we tie things to patient satisfaction, so like a lot of physicians will have their salaries or bonuses tied to patient satisfaction. So what are they doing? They're just trying to keep the patient happy because they want that, you know, five star review or whatever. Mm -hmm. And what we're actually finding is that higher patient satisfaction in those cases. So in cases where physician salaries are tied to patient satisfaction, mortality rates so the rate at which people die actually increases right so the happier you are in that scenario with a physician whose whose salary is tied to patient satisfaction the more likely you are to die like that is ridiculous yeah. that is absolutely ridiculous that is not good healthcare. but then you've got this virginia mason plan where patient satisfaction still remains high but the quality of care goes up I mean that's the holy grail right there
1: that is yeah so uh, that again that's uh there's a great article in the seattle business magazine for better faster more affordable that
0: yeah we'll we'll put fun. that link up on uh, on the show notes because I, I just i thought it was just fascinating and and this is how we act enacting plans like this this is how we change healthcare for the better
1: right yeah. so you know we just presented all this information you know well kind of regurgitated this information that we've been taught. Right. Basically,
0: we're we're stealing it from people smarter than us. Yes,
1: it's exactly it. But it is still uh, a word that everyone should spread. So everybody listening to this, go tell your friends and neighbors too. Um, But with all the information, I'm now going to quote a psychologist, information to behavior change is as spaghetti to a brick, meaning there's no relationship there. We've learned that with uh, the Surgeon General's warning on cigarette packages. You know, people are still going to choose to smoke. Right. So all this information doesn't immediately mean, oh, well, then we're just going to change the way we're doing things.
0: Right. We have to act upon this information. You know, study upon study upon study can show all this stuff. We have to act. We have to make things happen. Healthcare policy needs to change. So that's, you know, that's our challenge is how do we make that happen? So we hope this motivates you to, to go out and do the same and, and start making changes and use this information for good.
1: Yeah, if you have any suggestions, drop us an email. Let us know your thoughts.
0: Absolutely. Anything we can do, we're, we're happy to do it. So, uh, and anything you do, we're happy that you do it as well. So right. thank you for listening. Thank you. Um, and let us know if you have any questions in our comment section. Um, and thanks again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of More Than Medicine. For more information about this podcast, who we are, and what we do, please visit Justin's website, refinemove.com, and click the More Than Medicine tab. Once again, that's refinemove.com. Thanks for listening.